0: Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to Be the Informed Patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Two Upstate Medical University doctors were part of a national team that wrote a new practice advisory about stroke treatment for the American Academy of Neurology. With me to explain the significance of this new guideline is Dr. Jean LaTorre, He's a professor of neurology at Upstate and the medical director of neurology for the stroke team at Upstate University Hospital. Welcome back to The Informed Patient, Dr. Latore. Thank you, good to be back, Amber. Now, these guidelines have to do with preventing secondary strokes in people who've already had a
1: particular type of stroke. Is that right? Yes, you are correct. This guideline specifically targets intervention to prevent another stroke from happening, in patients who already experience a prior stroke. So how big of an issue are secondary strokes? About one out of four strokes in the United States are actually due to recurrent stroke. It is a pretty big problem uh, that amounts to about approximately 200,000 people a year, and a majority of the strokes can be prevented.
0: Are they the same type of stroke that the person might have had the first time, or do secondary strokes have different characteristics?
1: Usually, these secondary strokes are resulting from the etiology of the stroke that they had the first time. So, if your stroke is related to atrial fibrillation, then your recurrent stroke, your secondary stroke, is most likely going to be related to the same cause. So, let me
0: ask you how this has been commonly treated before the new guideline. What did doctors typically do to try to prevent secondary strokes?
1: Well, the... uh, Current guideline for preventing strokes from happening again involves multidisciplinary approach, including prevention and maximization of risk factor controls. These risk factors include hypertension, diabetes, physical inactivity, obesity, as well as you know maintaining patients on anti-clotting medications such as aspirin and also lowering cholesterol with the use of statins these are all very important in stroke prevention. And that also includes reducing your exposure to smoking. Quitting smoking is uh, probably the best approach to uh, preventing uh, another stroke from happening.
0: So it sounds like it would be very individualized to the person. I mean, some of those would apply to some people more than others.
1: That's correct. And the more risk factors you have, the more intensive the uh, treatment should be. These risk factors can be controlled by either medication or just by other non-medical maneuvers such as regular physical exercise, weight reduction, watching your diet, and having a healthy lifestyle.
0: So what is the new treatment guideline that you worked on?
1: So this new treatment guideline addresses the best treatment we have for this type of stroke related to narrowing of the blood vessels inside your brain. This type of stroke is quite hard to treat because it is a progressive condition and it's related to a number of risk factors in the past uh, because this looks like a mechanical problem where your blood vessel becomes narrow it was intuitive to uh, think that opening up the narrow blood vessel could work with reducing the chance of having another stroke and people have uh, used uh, a number of procedures such as stenting. Or a surgery to clean up the artery, these procedures are being done in other parts of your body, okay? If your blood vessels in your leg gets narrow, you can go to a vascular surgeon and have it cleaned up or have a stem placed. The same for your heart. When your heart blood vessel gets narrow, you can have a, a stem placed to open up the artery and then you're like good as new. Unfortunately, the evidence have shown that if you do the same thing with the blood vessels in the brain, The result is not as good as what we experience in other parts of the body. So this guideline specifically addresses the current best treatment we have, which is medical therapy.
0: So medication has been proven then to be better or more effective than a surgical intervention.
1: That's correct. Part of our guideline development involves gathering all of the available evidence to support or refute The efficacy of one type of intervention or the other, and the current evidence suggests that best medical management, which includes a multimodal approach with multiple risk factor prevention and control are as good, if not better than doing some type of surgery.
0: So neurologists and primary care doctors in America, do they generally follow these guidelines from the American Academy of Neurology?
1: For the most part, they do. I mean. Most neurologists would try to be adherent to the most current guideline recommendation. The art is in individualizing these guidelines to their specific patients. The guideline is a guideline. It's there to provide you with a framework of diagnosing and treating your patient in general. But individual patients have individual risk factors that require individualized patient management. And so there is some level of individualization that may need to be done. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast.
0: I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Dr. Gene Latore. He's a neurologist at Upstate and the medical director of neurology for the stroke team at Upstate University Hospital. And he was one of the authors of a new practice advisory about stroke treatment. Now, let me be clear. Does this apply to someone who had a stroke that was caused by a brain bleed? or is this just applicable to someone who had a clot
1: that caused a stroke? Yes, yeah, so a very good qualification. This guideline applies to a, a patient who had an ischemic stroke, okay? So these are patients who did not have any hemorrhage or, or a hemorrhagic stroke. This is specific to ischemic strokes.
0: Okay, so the new guidelines for anti-clotting medications, medications to reduce blood pressure, cholesterol, paired with safe levels of exercise,
1: How do you know for sure that these measures work? Good question. Well, part of our guideline activities involve gathering all of the available evidence we have. And I'm happy to say that multiple studies have been published and are actually included in the summary of evidence in this guideline, showing the positive impact of this intervention, including the uh, multiple risk factor uh, management, which results in reducing recurrent stroke with the uh, control of these uh, risk factors. And these are all part of our uh, guideline recommendation, medications to lower cholesterol, medications targeting the control of blood pressure, controlling diabetes and blood sugar, medications for anti-clotting, including aspirin and other blood clotting uh, preventive medication, as well as a healthy dose of regular physical exercise. These are all interventions that our guideline committee have found to be quite effective. They're effective in and of its own, but if you combine all of these interventions, their effect is significantly increased, more than what you would expect for individual intervention.
0: Do the interventions, is the goal to eliminate the plaque buildup, or is it just going to prevent new plaque from forming, or how do these actually work?
1: Unfortunately, we don't have any medication that makes the plaque disappear. Okay, these interventions are primarily designed to prevent further buildup of plaques. And so what you have there, you're probably going to have there for some time, but the intervention is designed to prevent progression of the disease. Sometimes we see some reduction in plaque formation, but we believe that this is probably your body's mechanism of repairing itself. We don't think it's the medication per se, but if your medication is helping to prevent plaque from buildup, then your body is able to optimize its ability to repair itself. And then over time, sometimes we see a reduction in the plaque or an improvement in the lumen of these blood vessels.
0: Are there some patients for whom stents or surgery may still be recommended to prevent secondary strokes?
1: Yes, not all patients respond to this intervention. In fact, there are patients who continue to experience stroke despite best medical management. So these are patients who could be considered for either stenting or surgery uh, as a last resort. Okay, so the, the guideline states that our first option would always be to maximize medical management. Some patients look like they're failing medical management, but if you look at them closely, They might be not compliant with either their blood pressure medication or they might not be doing as uh, much exercise as you would want them to. So sometimes it could be that just emphasizing to the patient the importance of having not just one strategy but multiple strategies. Some people swear that they're taking all their medications but they're also continuing to smoke. So sometimes you may think that they're doing very well, you know, they're exercising but then you can sometimes see like one. A risk factor that you could optimize further. And so it, it's very important to have a, a good expanded review of all the risk factors that are present in your patient before you can say that they are failing this medical management. And only then would um, you need to consider additional interventions such as stenting or surgery.
0: So regarding medical management of people who've had previous strokes, who are taking these medications, how often do they check in with a neurologist or are they followed by primary care doctors or what does what their management look like going forward?
1: Patients who have had a previous stroke, especially strokes related to uh, narrowing of the blood vessels in the brain, they're typically followed by both the primary doctor and the stroke neurologist. Sometimes a different type of stroke neurologist would be following them, the neurointerventional and neurologist, because these are other specialties within stroke who are expert in not only following up, but managing these patients who are having a, a, a specific type of stroke, intracranial stenosis. And these patients normally would uh, require some type of follow-up imaging to determine if their blood vessels continue to be open, whether their blood vessels are having more narrowing related to the plaque buildup. And so that allows for individualization of management. You know, sometimes up, uh, Maybe the blood pressure control might need to be tightened up a bit more. Your diabetic control might need to be controlled even further. You may need to have a different type of anti-clotting medication. Some blood tests might need to be ordered to determine how well your body is responding to the anti-clotting medication. We now have a blood test that determines whether you are responding to aspirin. Sometimes when you are taking a medication such as clopidogrel or ticagrelor, there are blood tests that allow us to determine whether your body is responding to it or whether you have some genetic condition. Maybe your body is just not designed to respond to this type of medication. So there is a new way of following these patients by making sure that they are responding well to the treatment. So they are typically followed by both the primary doctor and stroke neurologist.
0: Now, the guidelines say safe levels of exercise, but I'm curious about what that means for someone who has survived a stroke, because I imagine the idea of exercising may be really scary for someone that maybe feels a little fragile. So how do you counsel your patients?
1: Safe levels of exercise means that you are doing what your body can tolerate or what your body can do. Patients who have survived a stroke can have some physical limitations that prevents them from doing one type of exercise or another. So it's very important to work with a physiatrist, with a physical and occupational therapist to help to design individualized exercise program that would be not only safe for the patient, but also can optimize their rehabilitation potential as well as their recovery. Symptoms of lightheadedness or shortness of breath or worsening of their weakness after an exercise are symptoms that they are probably overdoing it. When you're on that level of exercise where you're very exhausted, you're almost out of breath, that level of exercise probably will need to be downgraded or adjusted to a more tolerable level. Some other equipment might be a factor as well. So some patients might think of maybe uh, investing in a treadmill to do some exercise at home. If you are limping on one side and if you do a treadmill, this treadmill is continuously running. And so you might not have enough time to adjust your balance. And so people who are having difficulty with balance, they probably would be better off not doing the treadmill. Instead, regular walking would be better because you can uh, adjust your pace. You can hold on to, to your family if you're walking with them. Other things would include using a, a dumbbell. If you are doing some weight training and you have weakness in your hand or you're unable to grasp because of the stroke, using a dumbbell might make you drop those dumbbells, which could result in an in injury. So those things are typically things that um, one need to be cautious about when they're starting their exercise program. And as I said, a consultation and working with the physical occupational therapist as well as the psychiatrist would be the best bet in making sure that their exercise program is not only safe, but also designed to optimize their rehabilitation.
0: Well, Dr. Latore, I really appreciate you making time for this interview. Of course. Happy to be here. My guest has been Dr. Gene LaTorre. He's a professor of neurology at Upstate and the medical director of neurology for the stroke team at Upstate University Hospital. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.